Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. That's right, it's Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow talking in circles tonight. We're talking all things NASCAR. Indianapolis, we're talking about Casey Kane's first win since August 2014. We're also talking about the news of the day. Ryan Blaney goes to the third-car team. Penske, Paul Menard replaces Ryan Blaney next year at the Wood Brothers Racing Team. What does that mean for Richard Childress Racing? What does that mean for the Wood Brothers what does that mean for Blaney and Menard? We'll discuss it all, and we'll take your phone call at 917-889-8280 to join the fun here on Talking in Circles. But first, John, we're breaking down the Indianapolis race, the Brickyard 400, Brentley Gilbert Brickyard 400, I should say. Um, Casey Kane wins. Listen, Casey's a guy who really struggled. His future is up in the air in Hendrick Motorsports. That five-car future is up in the air in Hendrick Motorsports. Hadn't had a top 15 finish since Kansas Goes out there, and yeah, it was a crazy finish to that race, but Casey Kane holds off, and he is locked into the chase, wins the race in Indianapolis. John, what were your thoughts on Sunday night's race at Indianapolis? Casey Kane drove the best turn of his life on that final restart. Um, Keselowski made a and he kicked himself the whole way down pit road whenever they were talking to him by choosing the outside lane because he figured a speedy drive would cause problems on the inside lane. And he saw how Truex went around on the inside whenever somebody was on his bumper. So he figured he'd stay in the outside lane and be able to hopefully get by Kane. Kane drove the corner of his life. Actually, he drove two corners of his life. The fact that whenever Johnson, Kane, and Keselowski were three wide going into turn three when Johnson spun out, that Kane did not back out of it. He stayed in the middle of the three wide, and Johnson's the one who spun out. That was balls bigger than church bells there because normally uh, two wide going into turn three at Indy's trouble, going three wide, even the announcers said, somebody's not coming out of this, and it wound up being Johnson who didn't come out of it. And the turn he did into turn one, going through the speedy dry, staying side-by-side with Keselowski and then beating him off two, that was the corner of his life, and he wound up kissing bricks because he drew he drove a hell of a corner. Um, great move by Keith Rodden. Eleven laps to go. Whatever he brings him in, and it, he's the only one who stays out because he had f- fresh rubber and pitted while the wreck was happening with uh, Kurt Busch and um, Clint Boyer. It just made a perfect day for Casey Kane. Good pit strategy. A hell of a two hell of a turns that he drove, and it's great to see Casey Kane be able to kiss the bricks. And I mean, the one thing as we look forward, and we've talked about it over and over, his uh, tenure in the five car is shaky to begin with. And the sad part is, you'd think something like this might improve that possibility of a tenure. But when Rick Hendrick says in victory lane, we still aren't sure what's going to happen. You might as well just say he's out of the car because there's the perfect chance for you to say, this is our driver sticking with him and we're going to find sponsorship for him. Rick Hendrick didn't do that. 
Yeah, and it's an int- it was an interesting comment for sure because of the whole press conference earlier in the day with Alex Bowman being in the 88. But I think it does do something for Casey Kane. And this is my point. Here's hear, hear me out here. I know this. You might think this win. If listen, if Casey goes out to the chase, runs how he has, and he doesn't perform as well as he should, he gets knocked out in the first round. Yes, this means this win means nothing. But if Kane can get deep into this chase, if he can get to the third round, and somehow magically push himself to the fourth round and be a factor in this chase, this win is huge for him. And he now has the opportunity to do that. Because if you're a guy who's sort of teetering on whether or not you're going to be back, any kind of positive vibe vibe is huge. And I think for Casey Kane, if he can make a deep playoff run in this five car, that's something that will certainly um, be huge for him in his career. I don't think the team right now with how they're running is going to be able to do that. But I do think if Kane makes a deep run, he now has the opportunity to make a deep run here because of this win in Indianapolis. When Casey Kane was driving for everybody he drove for before Rick Hendrick, when he drove for Richard Petty Motorsports, when he drove for Red Bull, when he drove for Ray Everham, when he won, they came in bunches. And, I mean, the one thing you used to always say is, mile and a half, don't ever count Casey Kane out because he'll find a way to get there in a mile and a half track. He struggled all year this year. Winning changes things. Um, you hope that for Casey's sake, that winning does change things. You bet you the guys in the five shop are standing a little taller this week. Pocono's not much different than Indy. And they're going to Pocono this week. I mean, matter of fact, turn three at Pocono is just like Indy. So, they're going to try and go out there, and they may end up shocking the world and winning again this week. I mean, you can't count them out. But the one thing, and Steve Letarte said about it, uh, I believe Monday on NASCAR uh, America, that Rick Hendrick had every chance in victory lane to say, this is the driver I want in my five car. And he didn't. And Stevie Letarte, who used to be, a crew chief at Hendrick Motorsports and grew up starting with sweeping the floors in the shop and worked his way up to crew chief. He understands how that shop operates. Casey Kane is not going to be in the five car next year. You can almost bank on it. And William Byron keeps uh, buzzing through the Xfinity series like he is, even though Rick Hendrick says we'd like to have another year in Xfinity. I think he gets four or five wins in the Xfinity series. They have to bring him up. He's been unbelievable Byron this year so far. The last four or five weeks, he's really been good. Um, Brad Keselowski finished second. A decent run for him. We haven't really seen the speed from the Penske cars that we've seen in the past. We've touched on a lot lately. Uh, Really since Logano's penalty, we haven't really seen him. So Brad wasn't able to really chase down Hendrick Motorsports car. I think there was a lot of shock to some people because of just how that five cars run compared to that two. And I think Team Penske really needs to start figuring out getting the, the speed underneath them if they really want to be good. And we'll touch on Magano a little bit later on in the show, but uh, not this win for, for Casey Kane that really, really puts Logano into a bigger hole than, what he, than he already was in as far as the chase is concerned. Uh, Ryan Newman was third. Joey Logano, Matt Kenseth, Kevin Harvick, 
Daniel Suarez and that D. Benedetto career best run for him in eighth. Chris Buescher and A.J. Allmendinger rounded out your top ten. A great run for Cole Witt in 12th and a career best 14th place finish for Timmy Hill at driving for Carl Long and MBN Motorsports. So a good run for those guys. Uh, especially a good run for Cole Witt here quick is the last race for his team owner, Mark Smith, who passed away Monday after a long battle with cancer. And our thoughts and prayers are with the Smith family and TriStar Motorsports uh, as we move on with throughout the year, no doubt about it. Um, but there was no doubt, John, early in that race, the two cars who were the class of the field were Kyle Busch in the 18 and Martin Truex Jr. in the 78. And Truex has been sensational all year. Joe Racing was held winless until last weekend at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Um, Bush doesn't want to race yet this year. Late in the going, they get into turn. They get into a turn in uh, on lap 112, and Truex slides up the racetrack, takes out the 18 car. Uh, a little altercation after the race between the pit crews. What do you make of that whole incident? And is this a little bit of Sort of, I wouldn't say jealousy, but a little bit of frustration as far as Joker's Racing is concerned, that you are providing the chassis and engines to this 78 team, and they're going out and beating you every single week. There's got to be a little frustration there, especially from the crew chiefs. I think it all boiled over a little bit in Indianapolis. What are your thoughts on that? I think it did a little bit. Um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Slugger Labby's talked about it. Uh, on Sirius XM, and he talked about it again Monday night whenever they brought it up on NASCAR America. Furniture Row gets everything from Joe Gibbs Racing. If there's a part that they don't that doesn't work, they call back to Gibbs and say, hey, this part doesn't work. They need a part. All they do is focus on making the cars go fast. All they do out there, because they get everything, basically a kit car almost, and they tweak it and tune it and everything they can. Everything else is done at Joe Gibbs Racing. So they're taking Gibbs stuff and making it better because that's all they focus on. I think from the crew chief end, from Adam Stevens, I think he was kind of ticked off. But they've been working together all day long on those restarts. And they were talking between the spotter and the driver saying, okay, are we going to let him in this time? And Kyle Busch said, I think it's time we race because it's less than 50 laps to go. It's go time. So Kyle Busch said, let's go. Truex goes, that's what they want. But we've been working great all day together. And they both busted their butts into turn one and Truex got loose. It was a racing deal, but I think it was frustration on Adam Stevens' part that Kyle Busch has run just as good as um, Martin Truex all year long. He's second in laps led, but he doesn't have a win to show for it. Yeah, when you look at playoff points, which is going to be essential when it comes playoff time, Truex has 29, Kyle Busch has 7. So that should – that's remarkable that Truex has 22 point, playoff points more than Kyle Busch, and Busch doesn't have a win yet. Uh, 917-889-8280 to join the conversation here on Talking Circle. If you look at the points, Kane's win really shakes things up. We've had a lot of surprise winners this year. Austin Dillon is 21st in points. Uh, he won, obviously, the, the 600. You have Ryan Newman who won a race this year. Stenhouse has got a couple of wins. Logano's win is encumbered. And I'm t- and it really what, what King's win did was not bore out of this chase. He's had a pretty good year in F14 car. Uh, we've seen some flashes of that team. They haven't really put it all together as far as consistency is concerned. Now, he's 11th in points, 
and outside of Chase. But the team really, John, to me, that's in big, big trouble. And I think Boyer might be able to maybe get ahead of Matt Kenzie. He's only 33 points back here with just a few races to go into the playoffs. But the team that's in big trouble here is Joey Logano on that 22 card. They're going to have to win now. Uh, he's only He was only about 16, 17 points back of Boyer. But to me, he's going to have to win now if he wants to make this chase, John, because – and they haven't had the speed. So Logano, it really hampers him to watch have Casey Kane win this race at Indianapolis. It really put him in a deeper hole. And that 22 car is going to have to find something here in the next couple of races if they want to make this chase. I still say we're going to have 16 winners and possibly 17. We still have the chance of having that. Boyer is strong at Richmond all the time. Um, You still have Watkins Glen, which is the question mark out there, or it could be an Almondinger or somebody like that comes out of the blue. Bristol, you can almost pencil Kyle Busch, Matt Kenseth, or Joey Logano winning that race. Darlington is another one of those that's almost a question mark. You can't always lock into somebody who's going to win at Darlington. And speaking of Darlington, I love the paint scheme Boyer has on it as a tribute to Mark Martin in his nation, in his uh, Bush Series days with the Carolina Ford dealers. So I still think there's a chance we get 17 winners and somebody who won a race may not be in the playoffs. It'll be wild. I mean, that'll be the first time ever. I don't know if NASCAR uh, really likes that would do that because I think they like to sort of win in your in mantra. Tell you this much, it, it's going to be wild, wildly competitive, and Austin Dillon's going to get on the throttle here if he wants to make this chase with just one win. If that's the case, um, the racing, John. Before we touch on uh, the restricted plates, a couple more things here before we wrap up. Um, what did you think of the show on Sunday? I know it ended wildly, and we'll talk about the overtime line next. But as far as the actual show went, and we had a lot of restarts at the end of that race which kind of really changed the complexion of that whole entire race. What did you think of the show as a whole on Sunday in Indianapolis? I think uh, from third on back, it was a pretty good race most of the day. And I think when Kyle Busch and Truex took each other out, it made it a good last 50 laps because it would have been Busch and Truex four seconds ahead of everybody. And then everybody else put a great race on between third on back. For some reason, those two cars were just hooked up better than anybody else. But I think the racing was it was better than normal for Indy. Um, the stages had something to do with it, where they had more restarts, and it forced them to be closer together. I mean, if they get a 60-lap 60, 60 green flag run at Indy, everybody's going to get spread out. But I think you saw more passing at Indy than you normally do. Uh, you saw them able to go too wide in the turns at times without – having major issues, not even during uh, a restart. Whenever it's a regular green flag run, you can see passing in the turns, which is something you don't normally see at Indy. I think the lower downforce helped Indy. I thought it was a better show than normal. The thing that sucked about it was the 3 o'clock start time and the hour-and-a-half rain delay. And even with that, they were up 3% in the ratings. But if they would have started at 1 o'clock like they normally do, they would have had the race 85% done by the time the thunderstorm happened, and we wouldn't have had to worry about the overtime line, whether or not they dropped the yellow flag after they waited for Casey Kane to pass the overtime line. They would have been able to start it as many times as they wanted. The one thing Which about... They clearly Pocono, did. 
The one thing about right. Indy that um, did bother me, it turned into a smash-up derby because it is tight. Um, the low downforce made it really tough to drive. I mean, you saw Boyer, whatever that wreck happened with 10 laps to go. He was just, tr- he had a great run going and he was trying to slow up to keep from smashing into the tail end of the car in front of him. And he got loose and wound up trying to overcorrect and wound up taking three, four cars out with that. Um, that's one of the things that I don't like about whenever they do get racing the way they do at Indy at times where the way they were tightened up and everything like that. It's a very narrow track. It's sort of like over. Um, it's self-cleaning, but whenever you come on the track, you're taking three, four other cars out with you. And that explains part of Matt Benedetto finishing eighth and Chris Busher finishing ninth and Dinger finishing 12th and Cole Witt 12th. And I mean, it's, you saw some of the people who don't normally finish up front, up front, because so many good cars wrecked during the day. Yeah, and that's my thing with this. And the overtime line is a perfect, you know, lead-in to what you were saying. Here's my opinion on the overtime line. It's something that the drivers wanted. NASCAR sort of put this in to sort of have an unlimited amount of restarts at the end of a race. Um, And it prevents what Kevin Harvick did at at Talladega a few years ago where, you know, caused a wreck on purpose because your car is not running and, and you're able to finish in a better spot. Um, so it does that, but there's been a lot of times this year where this overtime line has just sort of been bad. I think part of it is NASCAR's inconsistency with throwing it. I think everybody who's there will agree that who watched that race or listened to it on the radio will agree that they sort of held the flag there at the end. Um, but my point to that is, and, and I agree with you, I think that the biggest takeaway from that race is a three o'clock start time because if we have last year's rules, or, or two years ago, before this overtime rule, I should say, where we had three attempts at a green-white checkered finish, we would have ended because of darkness. It was only the second attempt at a green-white checkered finish with Casey Kane um, when, Casey, when that wreck happened with Denny Hamlin. And Casey was in front, and we would have said, well, we can't line him up again. It's too dark. Casey's the winner because of darkness. So it didn't affect the outcome of the race. Um, but with that being said, it still stinks that they hold the flag. No doubt about it. But to me, I don't know if these fans are going to be happy. I'm, I'm okay. Listen, I've said it a million times. Maybe I'm old school, whatever you want. I'm okay with these races ending under caution if it's a true finish. Because what, I didn't like what we saw on Sunday night as far as just these cars hanging on to deal, for dear life to finish and causing more accidents that really taking out cars that didn't deserve to be taken out and it really hurt the, the, the integrity of the race. So I think, you know, one attempt is plenty if you want to do that. Uh, I, I would personally just race him back to the caution flag, but that's just me. Um, so I just think the overtime line, a little overrated to me, the NBC start time, the late start time is really what affected this race. And uh, But it's really the big outcome of that race, not, not exactly the overtime line. What are your thoughts? I think the overtime line should go away. And it probably will next year. Um, I like the checkered flag under green. I always hated the parade lap going by. I want them to race to the finish. So if they if they do do a green-white checker, which I don't have a problem with, unless it's a restrictor plate, then I wish it was five laps instead of three or instead of two. But, I mean, it, I like them finishing under green. 
And I just think the overtime line is stupid because you're just picking a point on the backstretch saying, I hope we make it through the turn. If you make it through the turn, okay, we're done. And it just doesn't make sense. No, listen, there's no doubt. I don't think anybody will will disagree that the overtime line is is going to be gone next year. I, I don't know why you don't. If, if it's this big of a problem, why would you want it to affect the chase, the, the playoffs, whatever you want to call it this year? Um, why wouldn't you change it immediately? I would like to see NASCAR, if they admit there's a problem with it and it's something that they don't like, change it. I don't care if it's in the middle of the year. Change it because you don't want it to affect the championship race. Um, but to me, you know, again, there's flaws in every system. So whatever system we go to next, because there's no doubt in my mind this is going to change, whatever system we go to next, I'm sure there's going to be flaws there as well. Um, you know, I, again, I told three attempts at a green light checker were too much previously. Um, but, again, I, I'm in a minority. I'm in a vast, vast minority on that as far as finishing under caution. I know the majority of the fans, John included, want to see those races end under green. And I understand where they're coming from, but I just think as far as integrity goes, uh, I think it's a little bit better to finish under the caution flag. Uh, 917-889-8280 as we move on here, John. If you want to join the show on Talking in Circles, Xfinity race on Saturday. Uh, the big story was William Byron. His third win, he held off Paul Menard at the end of that race. Menard, the veteran, looked like he had, he had fresher tires. It looked like he was going to catch Byron at the end of that race. Three different racetracks, so for William Byron with his three, three wins, nearly won. Uh, at Michigan, finishing a close second to Denny Hamlin. Um, this kid has really turned it on here, John. How has his future changed with these three wins, in your opinion? I'm not sure. Supposedly, Exalta was the ones who were touting William Byron, and they're on the 88 car for 15 races next year. So you're not really sure how they're doing. And then Rick Hendricks said, in the press conference with Alex Bowman, he wants to keep Byron in Xfinity for another year. The day after he won at Indy. Um, I consider William Byron having four wins because Denny Hamlin's car was illegal. Even though Denny has the trophy, Byron won that race in my eyes. Um, he's a talent. He's going to be a star in this sport. And I don't know what's holding Rick Hendrick back from moving him up right now, next year unless it's sponsorship, which part of it is why I think Nationwide did a one-year extension and uh, did one year on the 88. So the 88's only set for next year. It's not like they're set for the full term of Alex Bowman's contract. It's up for next year only. I think they're all doing a wait and see, and they're holding Byron back to say, all right, this kid's won 15 races in the Xfinity Series, and he beat all the cup guys when they were down. Here's who you should sponsor. I think that's what they're trying to do with the 88 next. But if Bowman goes out and puts on a show, then they've got the five car because Casey is technically under contract at Henry Motorsports for next year. Yeah, no, it it definitely gives them some options to have Byron in the wings. And, you know, you're talking about rushing him up the cup after one year and Xfinity. Rick's had a couple of guys who have gotten away from him who – were really successful in the Xfinity Series, Kyle Busch being one of them, who you know sort of rushed up to the Cup Series at a younger age and didn't have the success at Hendrick Motorsports he's had at Joe Gibbs Racing. Another one, Brian Vickers, who won a championship in Xfinity, was rushed up the Cup, left, went to Red Bull. Never really turned out to be the guy I think everybody thought he was going to be, but you know his career was sort of interrupted with blood clots. Um, my point to that is, 
he, you know, he's, he's learned from past experiences of why not to rush these kids up. In my mind, Wayne Byron is going to be a very successful cup driver in the future. Uh, the big story of the Xfinity Series race, John, was restricted plates. Um, first time they ran restricted plates at a track other than New Hampshire, Daytona, and Talladega since the 70s. Um, very, I was very anticip- and I anticipated this race because I wanted to see how the racing was going to be. It started off slow, followed the leader. I don't know if the drivers were really sure how to take it. Um, they worked on the race cars, and it turned out to be a pretty darn good race. Um, I think it would have been better if Bush and Jones didn't pit at the end. Uh, it would have made it maybe a four-car race instead of a two-car race at the end. But what were your thoughts on the overall running at other restricted plates at Indianapolis in the Xfinity Series? And is, is this something, John, we can bring to the Cup Series next year? I got a feeling, and Lee said it last week when we were talking, you can almost bank it's coming to the Cup Series. I hate the restrictor plate. I like the innovation of bringing the air duct in to make the air go out in front of the tires to punch a bigger hole in and put more resistance on. That was the way to go. I don't like the, I don't like the uh, restrictor plate one bit. Um, I don't like creating pack racing because the smallest mistake you tear a bunch up. And I think Kyle Busch pretty much hit the nail on the head is if you get out there and you're building a lead, it's set up to bring the people who aren't as good up to you and keep you from staking up the show. I understand that's better for the TV audience or whatever. The object is to win. Object is to run as fast as you can. And this isn't it. I don't mind the ducks in there to change the airflow. I think that was good. I think the bigger spoiler was good. I don't like the restrictor plate. I like them to be able to have full throttle and be and make them be able to use the throttle. Elliot Sadler in his qualifying lap never lifted his foot. And that's not the way yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be. This is and if you want to bring it to cup, I think there's a little bit there's some changes you can make. Are we getting too much like Indianapolis like Indy cars? Um I think NASCAR looked at what the package at the Indianapolis 500, and they see the ratings it's getting, and they see the, the publicity it's getting, and people are ranting and raving saying, that was a good race, Indianapolis 500. Um, but to me, NASCAR is different. It's always been different stock car racing, different style of racing. Now when you put the plates on, you make them wide open. You're making them a lot like IndyCars, especially at an IndyCar-type track, with, which Indianapolis is. Um, so to me, we got to be very careful with what we do here because I like that, this, that Indy cars are different than stock cars. I like that Formula One cars are different than Indy cars and stock cars. To me, we there should be a difference in there. And we should – sure, it's okay to promote each other and, and for the good of auto racing, I think it's, it's fine to do that. But I think it's cool to have differences between the two. And I think we're getting all an awful lot like Indy cars by having restricted plates – at Indianapolis. Now, no doubt about it, the cars were closer. Um, it made it for a little bit more an interesting show, but I see your point there, no doubt about it, with the restricted plates. And I think that's something we need to look at, not only at Indianapolis, but all the racetracks, because they, they might bring these restricted plates, there's rumors they might bring them to Michigan and Pocono and tracks like that. And if we do that, then you're looking at an awful lot like Indy cars, especially in the mile and a half tracks. Um, Final thoughts, John, on Indianapolis before we move on. It was better than I thought it would be. Um, 
a great story with Casey Kane getting the win. Um, and he drove to get the win. It wasn't that he stayed out on old tires and um, clean air got him the win. He had to pass Kozlowski in that turn where they were side-by-side, door-to-door. That was a great win on Casey Kane's part. I think the, the racing was better than it's been. I still wasn't impressed with the Xfinity series, the way it went. Um, I think if, I mean, part of the thing that makes a driver a driver is throttle control. And if you put a restrictor plate on there on a regular basis and they've got their foot in the floor, it's not throttle control anymore. You take it out of the driver's hands. All it is is how good can you block? How good can you uh, adjust? I mean, how good can you see everything around you? And can you find the hole? There's nothing. It isn't racing. I don't think it takes it a lot out of the driver's hands if they do that. I understand your point for sure. And, and, and I think a lot of people, there's some people out there who might agree with you. But at the end of the day, NASCAR wants to keep Indianapolis. Um, the attendance in Indianapolis wasn't great this weekend. Uh, it's not really been great at a lot of places this year. But they're going to try and do everything they possibly can to keep Indianapolis in the NASCAR ranks. Um, and I think the restricted plates can be coming next year for the season and finale. When Jun- the and season and finale. when Junior wrecked, when Junior wrecked, half the crowd left. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much everywhere. They told me they did it too, but it was significant to watch that crowd leave in Indianapolis. No doubt about it. Um, the news of the day, John, and I guess you can call it the news of the week because it started yesterday when Brad Keselowski announced he re-signed a multi-year contract with Team Penske in the number two car as well. It took a little bit longer than I think a lot of people were comfortable with, but there was no doubt in my mind, John, that Paul, that Brad Keselowski was staying at Team Penske, and it's, it was official this week, and it really got the ball rolling on a whole lot of other news. But what do you think about Brad re-signing at Team Penske? Um, and what do you think about locking up Paul Wolf? Brad said flat out he doesn't want to drive for anybody other than Paul Wolf because they've had success together at the Xfinity level and then at the cup level. They've been phenomenal together. They won a championship together. Um, the idea of Keselowski leaving Penske was the biggest joke there is. The richest man in the garage area is Roger Penske. Nobody else comes close. Roger Penske is the richest man in that garage area. If Roger Penske wanted Brad Keselowski, which he said he did, Brad Keselowski was going to stay at Team Penske. Nobody was going to outbid him. And if you look at the other rides that were out there, none of the rides are equal to that two car. So Brad Keselowski at Team Penske, that was a no-brainer. It was just a matter of time. I think it was just a tease. I think they had that contract ready to go for a while. I think they were probably finishing up with Miller Lite, getting them to stay. Yeah, and, and with the sponsorship and everything going down, uh, you know, with all teams this year. I think certainly it was a hold-up at Team Penske. Um, so that got the ball rolling. Other Team Penske news it was announced today that Ryan Blaney will drive a third car at Team Penske, um, a number 12 car. No word of a sponsorship, but Jeremy Bowens, his coochie for the 21 car, will go with him to the 12 car at Team Penske next year. That left a, a vacancy at the Wood Brothers Racing Team, which has an alliance with Team Penske. In come Paul Menard, which we've been hearing rumors about for a little while. Menard will drive the number 21 car for the Wood Brothers next season. The guess is Menard is going to be a sponsorship there. Greg Irwin 
who's been in the, in the Xfinity Series for Team Penske, will be the crew chief for that car next season uh, in 2018. So a lot to dive into there, John. Um, what are your thoughts here, quick, before we go to uh, – we have a caller. Before we go to the caller, um, what do you think about Blaney going to a third Penske team? Why do you think they decided this was the time to move him to a, into the Penske fold? And uh, how do you think he's going to do next year? I think uh, Roger Penske's wanted to put Ryan Blaney in a Penske car since Ryan Blaney showed himself a solid driver in the Xfinity Series. He just wasn't ready to go to three teams, so he wound up building a partnership with the Wood Brothers and giving Blaney the chance to get his feet wet in another team. I think uh, outside when it comes a look outside look at what could possibly be the sponsor for the twelve car. Think Verizon. Verizon sponsors Roger Penske's Indy cars. They could end up back with Team Penske because they used to sponsor the 12 car when Sprint came in, and they went from AT&T to Verizon, and then they wound up having to put nothing but an empty spot on the 12, even though Verizon was still paying for it the first year that Brad Keselowski drove for Team Penske. The... um, Menards is sponsoring 22 races next year with uh, Motorcraft and Quick Lanes, picking up the rest of the slack with the Wood Brothers. I think that's uh, typical Paul Menard buying a ride. He's buying a better ride than he's ever had before. Now we really Mm. better see something out of Paul Menard. I mean, he he bought a good ride at Richard Childress Racing. He got a win at the Brickyard a few years ago, but he's not really done anything. And, He's on the board of directors of one of the largest home improvement companies in the world, so it's not like the money's not there. So we'll see what Paul Bernard has to do with the 21 car. I think he'll take a step backwards. Um, I'd love to see Blaney get that 100th win for the Wood Brothers this year because I think with Paul Bernard in that car, I don't see them getting the 100th win for a while. Um, So that's where I see the uh, Penske issue going. I think Blaney's going to be a solid pick in the 12. I think – if you if you really think about it, his team for the 21 is being picked up and moved to the 12. There's no change there. Jeremy Bullins is still going to be his crew chief. The crew for the Wood Brothers are Penske employees. So basically, that team is picking up and going back in-house at Penske. They're creating another Wood Brothers team. You're probably pretty accurate on that, no doubt about it. Um, and let me say this about Paul Menard before we bring on uh, our caller. The excuses for him are over now at the Wood Brothers Racing Team. We've proven, Ryan Blaney has proven that team can win. I think we might see that team win another race before the year's out. Uh, it's, he's proven it's a chase contender. So the excuses for Paul Menard, well, he's not with a great team. Yeah, he's not with a, a team that can win. That's over now. It's time for Paul Menard to win and run consistently up front because now he has the opportunity to do that in that 21 car. Lee from Virginia joins the show. Hello, Lee. What do you want to talk about tonight? I'll continue on this Menard, uh, Ryan Blaney thing here. Good to have you, Lee. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, you know, I have to wonder, too, as much as it is, is and, and John makes a great point about the Verizon deal, but I have to wonder if it, too, uh, and Roger Penske obviously wanting Ryan Blaney in the fold. I have to wonder, though, if Rick Hendrick came a-knocking. I know for a fact that he came a-knocking for uh, – I, I know for a fact he came a-knocking for Ryan Blaney. So um, you have to wonder if that's part of the reason why he went into the 12 because, you know, Ryan Blaney looks at it and says, okay, well, can I get a multi-year deal uh, 
you know, with 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 Rick Hendrick, or am I going to stay here and I'm going to stay with the multi? Am I am I going to stay with the with the sister team there to the Wood Brothers, the satellite team with the Wood Brothers from Roger Penske? I can go run for Rick Hendrick's main team. I'm not going to continue to run for the satellite team. And so I think, you know, Roger said, okay, well, you know what, the time is moving. I know for a fact that's what brought Eric Jones to the 20, is that, you know, Rick Hendrick came and, knock, or Rick Hendrick came and knocked in and said, hey, you know, what are you doing with this kid in the 77? If you don't have a seat for him, I'll take him in the 88. Uh, you have to wonder if the same thing happened there with Ryan Blaney because the timing of this is very interesting, and, and you know, Rick needed to fill that seat. He obviously got Alex Bowman in, but I think part of that is Ryan knew this was coming, and, and Eric Jones is now in the 20. Um but you have to wonder if that was a driving force behind it as well. Well, it's funny you say that because in a, if you go back to past history, which I always like to do, a lot of people point to that as why Kyle Larson was sort of rushed into the Cup Series when they had Juan Pablo Montoya in the 42. They could have probably run out Montoya a couple of more years, maybe a year or two more, and let Larson get his feet underneath him in the Xfinity Series. But Larson was such a big talent and such a good talent on the dirt tracks you knew the raw talent the kid had. A lot of people were saying, hey, listen, I want him in that. I want him in my car in the Cup Series. You're in the Cup Series on a big-time ride. And it kept Kyle Larson in the Chip Ganassi racing fold. And it's going to keep him in the fold for a long, long time. As you can see, that Larson's really performed well in the last couple of years, especially this year. It's sort of his breakout year. Um, I think that there's some, there's some uh, evidence behind that, no doubt about it, and there's some relevance behind that. Um, but, you know, John, what do you think this does for Blaney as far as expectations are concerned? This is a kid who, and I've said this, come out publicly and said this, I think the 21 car has been sort of the test car for Team Penske. Um, Blaney really ran good at Pocono. I was there for his first win last, uh, six weeks ago at Pocono. Great driver. I think everybody ran and raised about the kid. He's got a great personality. Um, what does this do now? Do you think he's in a opportunity to where like I said with Paul Menard, his excuse is stop. He's got to make a chase consistently Consistently here now. Is Ryan Blaney, now you look at him and say, listen, this is a championship contending car. This is the end of it. You know, you could look at a 21 and say, well, can they really compete for championships? I'm not so sure. This is a championship contender team, contending team here at the, at the 12 car, and the excuses stop for Ryan Blaney as well. I don't think the expectations change one bit because if you really think about it, um, and Lee, you can correct me if I'm wrong. The cars are built, put together at Penske. The only time the Wood Brothers put their hands on it are on pit road. Um, when you look at the crew, Jeremy Bullins came from Penske with him to the Wood Brothers. So he's a Penske guy. I think the Penske, Penske has the pit crew. The only thing in the Wood Brothers are is name only anymore. Pretty much it's Penske with the Wood Brothers and the Wood Brothers have their name on it because they want to keep the Wood Brothers in the sport since they've been there since 1950. So I don't really think there's any change in expectations for Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney has a chance to win the chase this year. He has been consistently up front. He runs great in that 21 car. He's outperformed Joey Logano all season long, except for the one win that Logano has that got encumbered. Blaney has a chance to win this thing this year for the Wood Brothers. I think it's basically we're cha- we're inverting the number and we're going to put a different sponsor on it, and you'll just go to the Penske office instead of the Wood Brothers office. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's too far off um, about that. The interesting thing to me about this league 
is, you know, I always say the effects it has dominoes. We call it domino effect. You know, once one domino falls, it sort of Matt Kenseth came out and said, hey, listen, I'm not going to be the 20 card next year. Then you had Eric Jones. Then you had uh, Alex Bowman when Matt Kenseth said he wasn't going to be in the 88. Now it's uh, these two drivers. When Brad Keselowski was signed, you had Ryan Blaney moving. Um, Paul Menard as well. The domino here, another interesting domino to this whole thing, and that we haven't touched on yet, is Richard Childress racing. Um, Menard leaves. He's been there. I heard on the radio this is his sixth or seventh year Richard Childress racing, which was mind-boggling to me when I heard that. Um, but this is he was a constant driver there. He's, like I said, he's been there for a little while, a veteran driver there. Now this team has a third team up in the air. They came out this afternoon and said they plan on running three teams next year. We'll see if that happens. Uh, and they plan to make announcements later on in the year. Lee, how do you think this affects Richard Childress Racing for next season and, and, and the years coming? Well, I think it, I think it totally affects RCR. Um, there's no doubt. You lose money like, like Menards, which I'm not sure exactly how much Menards was paying, but not only were they all over that that cup car on the 27, they were all over the number two Xfinity Series team. They sponsored Brandon Jones at times in the Xfinity Series, so you know, Menards is put it, footing the bill for a lot of Richard Childress racing. And, you know, what's going to happen with them? I know they have five Xfinity Series, team, series teams, so I'm, I don't feel sorry for them. That's not what I, my conversation here isn't. But you have to wonder what's going to go on at the cup level. I'm hearing Dow could be backing out from, Ty Dill, from Austin Dillon. And I think the fact that everybody thinks automatically that Ty is going to jump right into that void there at RCR, I'm not entirely sure about that. I think, if, you know, like I said to somebody earlier this week, who I was talking to about this? If they had the sponsorship for Ty, he would have been in an RCR car this year. He wouldn't. They wouldn't have moved Casey Mears out of that 13 for him if they had the funding for him. So the fact to me that they don't means well, I'm not sure they still do because Ty's had a nice rookie year, but he hasn't set the world on fire. I'm not so sure what this rookie year has done for him to be able to sell sponsorship. Um, yeah, I don't, like I don't find it. I don't find it. I don't find it crazy that they could run a third car. Maybe they they move. You know, they got a lot of funded drivers in the Xfinity Series. Um, you know, Daniel Hemrick's done a nice nice job. Not a great job, but a nice job there. He's got a sponsor behind him in Blue Gate Bank. Maybe they step up. But the one thing that I'm really looking at, and the one guy I'm really looking at, and I've I've got my hands arm circled around him, is Brendan Gone. Um, you know, he's shown he wants to run some Cup races at, at the Cup level this year. He's done it at, at Daytona and Talladega. Um, you know, Brendan's a good dude. He's a decent driver. We'll see if he is willing to maybe take his South Point sponsorship and move it up to the Monster Energy Cup Series and run it as a third team for Richard Children's Racing. That is one of the few scenarios I see that's a possibility for them to keep that third car. But that'd, that'd be interesting. And, and John, who do you who else? Do you think Gone's an option in that car? Who else do you think is an option in that car? Because really, when you think about it, there's no real clear, clear-cut favorite for that ride. You think about Matt Kenseth, he's out there, he's a veteran, he, he can win and run run for a championship. If it was me and I'm Richard Childress, I'm putting all my, my eggs in, in one basket, come to Richard Childress Racing. Um, what are your thoughts on that vacancy over there, Richard Childress Racing? If Matt Kenseth was fully sponsored, he'd still be running the 20 car at Joe Gibbs Racing, even though uh, Hendrick came knocking on the door to Eric Jones. Matt Kenseth has proved he can win races, and it's getting to the point now where cup racing isn't about wins and losses. It's about dollar signs. Used to be, if you were a great driver, somebody found money for you. 
now great drivers are going away because they don't have money. I mean, who would have thought that that 14 car this year would have had Haas automation on it as much as it had. I mean, Clint Boyer's run very well in that 14 car and they're not getting sponsor dollars. Um, Kenseth, his car wasn't fully sponsored throughout the year. I mean, they're still making announcements. I mean, heck, they brought Circle K in, what, seven races into the season to fill some of the void. I don't think Kenseth is an option at RCR because unlike everybody, I mean, some of the other guys in the garage, Richard Childress is not a billionaire. Rick Hendrick is borderline because of all of his car dealerships. Roger Penske is. Chip Ganassi's got Rob Kaufman behind him, so there's more money going into him. Jack Roush isn't doing far off, and he's got a billionaire in John Henry as a partner. Um, Tony Stewart's got Gene Haas as a billionaire as a partner there in the, Fort, in the uh, Stewart Haas racing. Richard Childress isn't that rich. And he's trying to keep his two grandsons in the sport. And he's got a investment banker with him that have been trying to sell for five years, and they still haven't been able to sell their partnership with Richard Childers. So it's one of those, if there's not sponsorship coming with it, I don't see them going into the third car at RCR. I think the South Point Casino idea is something that is being floated around in the shop. It's just a matter of whether Brendan Gaughan's dad wants to put another $5, $10 million into driving a cup car instead of driving an Xfinity car. And he'll still get 15th place either way. So it's just a matter of what Gaughan wants to do. If he wants to keep driving on Saturdays, great. If he wants to drive Sundays, dad's got to pony up some more money. I think Kenseth, if he goes anywhere, he's going to the 10 car right now. The thing is, with the Childress ride, you also have Eric Almirola out there, who's a free agent at the end of the year and could possibly bring Smithfield with him. I know Ford really likes him. There's a rumor of him into the 10. There's a rumor of him coming back to the 43. There's a rumor of Bubba Wallace. They're trying to find sponsorship for him to put in the 44. I mean, this is just the goofiest, silly season ever. And like we said last week, I think it's funny that Matt Kenseth has basically pushed everybody's cards into the table and made them announce themselves because – Every time he gets connected to something, he goes, I don't have a shot at that. And then two days later, the announcement's made. Yeah, and it sort of turns the attention, like you mentioned, John, to Stuart Haas Racing. Because right now, when you think about the rides that are open, um, you know, we've had a lot of answers here in the last couple of weeks. The 88 was a big one. We know it's going to be Alex Bowman next, next year. Uh, the 20 was sort of in limbo. We know it's going to be Eric Jones next year. The 77 still out there. But the two big ones right now to me are the 41 because that's not concrete with Kurt Busch. Nothing's been finalized there. And the 10 with Danica Patrick, which it sounds like she's going to be out. So the attention turns Lee, to Stuart Haas racing. Um, what, do you think, where, what are your thoughts on, on that? Um, do, you, do you think they go back Kansas route? Do you think they go on the roll? What are your thoughts on Stuart Haas racing? Lee, me? Oh, um, Lee. I think they're gonna. I heard. I heard it's gonna be Eric Amarola. I heard Smithfield's going with them into the tent. I've heard that, and you know, I think right now they're what they're waiting. The Smithfield CEO, the guy who was running their NASCAR program, has resigned. He's sort of backed out. But before he left, he got a, a NASCAR deal set and done, and none of the papers have been signed. But 
the new guy who's going to come in and replace him, all he needs to do is sign the papers, and it's going to be up to Smithfield whether or not they want to re- recontinue their NASCAR relationship. So right now that's why we're waiting in limbo, in my opinion. I think once that move happens, I think Richard Petty Motorsports will find the sponsorship to put Bubba Wallace in the car. Um, you know, the chartering system, as bad as it's been for, you know, the sport, I think it's good for business just because guys can set their budget a little bit, where even if Bubba brings $3 million worth of sponsorship and Richard Petty Motorsports looks at it and says, okay, well, we're going to make, you know, let's just say $2 million, if we can keep our team, you know, in the $5 million budget, we can run. It doesn't matter how good you run with the, with the chartering system, just as much as, as long as you're running. As we've proven as, as Jeffrey Earnhardt has proven this year. So, um, to me, you know, you got to look at that scenario and say, okay, well, that's a possibility there for Bubba. He's got nothing else. He can't be picky. Um, one of the things I noticed with, with Brad Keselowski, he did take a hit. I know, I know he took a pay cut. Um, and that, that's just something I think people are going to have to take in the future. Drivers are going to have to, you know, bite, bite down hard if they want to get rides. John, you mentioned one thing real quick, and I wanted to touch on that too. With the, with the Dillon boys, I know for a fact Paul Menard and, and John Menard have been have had it up to their necks with the Dillon boys and RC, you know, putting everything towards them. They felt like second-class citizens at Richard Childress Racing, and I think they just ha- had finally had enough. And no doubt this, this Wood Brothers deal is a much better deal for them. So I think, it, you know, we've said these Dillon boys better be superstars because that's where the business is. Right now, looking at the business – you better hope that they pick up their performance here in the next couple of years because if they don't, we could be seeing the end of Richard Childress racing. Yeah, I mean, and I, I really think. Go ahead, John. I really think of the two Dillon boys. I think Ty is actually the better driver. Um, Austin has gotten everything thrown his way, but I think Ty has proven himself more than Austin ever has. I mean, you look, Paul Menard. And this is where I think the relationship went sour with Menard and Richard Childress racing that the the minute the contract where the sponsorship was up, Paul Menard was going to make the jump was when Slugger Labby went from the 27 to the three. I think they tried to get Matt Borland in there to kind of pacify him and say, Hey, we got you a, a cup race winning crew chief, but it just, I mean, it's too little too late. And Matt Borland and Paul Menard are finding their way at times, but then they're out to lunch at times. I just think it's that was one of the deals that when Slugger Labby left the 27, I think that ruined the relationship between Menard and Richard Childress Racing. Um, I still, yeah. with R- Matt Kenseth sitting out there, he is too good to not have a top-notch ride next year. I mean, he I really think is. Eric Almarola being in the possibility of the 10 car, I still think if um, Tony and Gene have their way, they want to win races, um, and they've proven it over and over with everybody but Danica. I mean, they put Boyer in the 14 car because he runs well. He was in crap equipment, put him back in good stuff. He's been running respectful, respectably all year. The only time he hasn't really run well, he gets caught up in something. I think they're going to want to try to put the 10, put Matt Kenseth in the 10. It would be huge for them if they could do that. I think that team would be great. And, John, you know, I, I say the attention turns of Stuart House Racing. You know, there is another ride out there. It's a very competitive ride, a ride that um, I think could win races, and that's 77-car furniture racing. But there's a lot of rumors out there right now that the team is going away. Do you see that team going away? 
if not, you know, we we talked about options earlier on in the year, um, and then you also have the five car, which Hendrick Motorsports, you know, we talked about William Byron, who doesn't appear to be an option, according to Rick Hendrick. Um, do you see Casey returning to that five car? So, so to me, other than Stuart Haas Racing, the two bigger rides out there that are sort of unanswered for next year, we have the 77 at Stuart Haas Racing and the 5 at Hendrick Motorsport, or 77 at Fur- Furniture Racing, excuse me, and the 5 at Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two rides? I still think there's a possibility of GMS coming to truck or coming to Cup because they have the money to do it. Not like I mean, you, me, and Lee could pull uh, our whatever's in our wallets right now and buy a charter right now. The way it seems, because you've got 38 cars showing up to the track. There's 36 charters sooner or later, and you look the way it looks. There's a chance of contraction because the sponsorship dollars aren't there. Like I For said sure. today, when I was riding this, when I, I was riding the subway in, on my way into DC today, and I saw a piece of potato chip on the on the floor of the subway car, half eaten, and I said, "That's probably the you could probably buy that for what you could buy a Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series charter for right now." That's probably how little that they're worth. That's where we're at right now. So, you know, I think if there is a time for a team to make the jump to Cup like GMS, it's now because eventually. I think the economy will write itself. The sport will write itself. Um, sponsorship will come back, and then these big teams will will eventually just eat up all the small teams. So if there's a time now for somebody to come cup racing, and, and if you're if you're uh, Maurice Gallagher, you got to sit down and look and say this is the time to do it. Even if we're not ready financially, it makes the most sense. Yeah, that's another team is is Gallag- Gallagher Motorsports. Uh, the rumors that they're going to come to the Cup Series next year. So there's still a lot of answers. We've gotten a lot of silly season answers here. What do you think? You know, your final thoughts on this on this whole situation with Blaney and Menard, Lee? Before I let you go. Well, I think Ken's it's an, an option for the five. Um, I just think that right now Rick Hendrick really doesn't know what he's going to do there. Um, and then also I think you know, listen, he's he is the he is a tremendous driver, and Gene Haas and Tony Stewart would be stupid not to put him in the 10. However, you know, sponsor, they did it with Danica, like, like John said. And I think, you know, they're hurting right now badly for sponsorship on that team. I understand Gene Haas is a billionaire, but if you got a sponsor with Smithfield saying they're going to pay a certain amount of money and you have to put Eric on the roll in the car, I think at this point they're, they'd be willing to do that. Um, so, you know, if Kenseth doesn't get any of those rides, if the, if the musical chairs ends without, you know, Matt Kenseth finding a ride, I wouldn't be too surprised at this point in the silly season, and to me that's really sad that a driver with that much talent still wanting to race, still has the burn in his belly, uh, won't be in a ride next year. To me, that, that's not a good thing for our sport. And, Lee, thanks for the phone call. And that's why I think Richard Childress Racing is an option here because when – and I know you're going to say crazy, that's Matt wouldn't, might not take that, but when Carl Edwards swapped from – and I think I touched on this last week – when he swapped from – Roush Fenway to Joe Gibbs Racing. Childers made a, a very generous offer to Carl Edwards. I don't see how, why you can't do that with Matt Kenseth. Um, you're, this team has really struggled with Childers Racing this year, especially lately. They've really kind of uh, hit a wall here, it seems like, where they just can't find the speed to be ultimately competitive. And it goes trickles down. The 95 has actually been really fast. 
faster than they were earlier in the year, but the 47 and 37 haven't performed that well. Three RCR cars haven't really performed that well. 13 hasn't really been that great. Um, they sort of run in the 18th to 25th range, and you got to be a lot better than that if you want to win a championship. So you bring a guy in who knows these race cars, knows what Joe Gibbs Racing does to these race cars to help make them fast, and just say, hey, maybe this is how we can do it at RCR here and bring a little bit of stability there, I think it would be huge. Um, but we'll see, John. This, they call it the silly season for a reason. There's still a lot to be out there. There's still a lot out there. Um, and it can be sillier even than, than it is now, and it's been pretty silly so far. I think it's getting to the point where it's really sad. It's turning – I mean, I've joked about it many times, but it's becoming that way that NASCAR is turning into IndyCar. Buy your ride – you got a chance and it's just sad that um, it's not good the way the sport is becoming. I mean, when you've got Matt Kenseth, who is a cup champion, who is a winner in this sport on a regular basis, and he is still looking for a ride, but I mean, he doesn't seem too upset about it. So he must have something that nobody really knows. But I, I mean, like I said, the 10 car, I really hope that Stuart Haas Racing goes racing instead of sponsorship. I mean, I like Eric Almarola. He's a, a nice driver. He won his range-shortened um, plate track for his, for his only win of his career. But I really think they want to win. They want to win races. They want to be a racing team. And I don't see, to me, but then again, I've been wrong half the time on all this silly season stuff as it is. The 77 car is interesting, um, but Barney Visser hasn't really said whether it's staying or, I mean, he said there's nothing locked in. The only thing that's locked in is Martin Truex Jr. will drive the 78. And that the five-hour energy sponsor is with Furniture Row Racing, not with Eric Jones. I can see the five-hour energy taking some spots on the, uh, the 78 car to take furniture row off for a little bit, or I could see Bass Pro Shops leaving furniture row racing and Martin Truex and going to Richard Childress to help the three. If Dow goes away. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's, there's still a lot out there uh, as far as sponsorship goes and the loose ends tied as far as that's concerned. Um, real quick, John, I want your winner at Pocono. Who do you pick to win this week? Uh, Pocono, like you said earlier in your show, very similar to to Indianapolis. Uh, do you think the 78 and 18 are going to be contenders? Who's your winner at Pocono this week? I don't see how you can't ever say the 78 is a contender anymore. He's up front every race. Um, Blaney ran great at Pocono six weeks ago. It wasn't that he lucked into that. I mean, he drove away from Harvick. He passed Harvick. He ran a great race. Um I think Kyle Busch, he's been snake bit at Pocono, but I think he's going to be up front. Um, the one who I see as a surprise who could end up winning this thing, Matt Kenseth. He was great at Indianapolis. want to thank everybody for listening to the show tonight. We'll see you next week after Pocono. Good night, everybody. <laughs>